Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for this place that we can come and gather together like this and be like-minded and to continue marching forward one day at a time in the devil's world. Father, we thank you for this life that you've called us to, to serve you as uh, your students, as your soldiers. While we still have time, Father, we appreciate the privilege and we ask that you keep educating us on the right way to think so that we can bring you glory in our day-to-day walks. And Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who made this all possible. Once for all at the cross, through that great sacrifice, we don't have to think again about eternal life or earning our own way. We're so grateful, Father. Help us never take this for granted. Help us walk this way every day in gratitude for your Son. We ask that you bless this message and guide us by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. And by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 35. So I was just thinking, you know, as I was getting ready this evening, how good God is to us to be giving us a, a series like this. Because it would be real easy to just talk about you know, all the things God has done for us, which this obviously certainly a time for. But God cares about us so much that he's been warning us lately about a lot of deceptions. You know, just like any good father would warn his children, right, in this world, uh, what to watch out for and who to watch out for. So he's just really good to us by giving us this lengthy series that challenges us, that, that makes us think, and hopefully gets us from being naive children in the devil's world to, you know, wise as serpents and meek as doves and wise little birdies, as we've seen lately. So hopefully you're all grateful and appreciative for these types of things, which is from his goodness. On Sunday, the Spirit began by giving us a warning, and today we're going to talk about that warning a little bit more, which has been right in line with the blogs lately. Um, Even in the leadership meeting on Sunday, it came up how, how tight, if you will, how tightly knit the recent blogs have been with the lessons. And God is just like weaving all this stuff together for us. So if you think about it, this topic we're on now that came up on Sunday is kind of a new emphasis in our series on the deceitfulness of sin. So this was the main uh, beginning from Sunday on the board. I put it on the board for you. Regarding the deceitfulness of sin, don't get caught up in the natural senses. We've been called to a supernatural life and understanding. Don't become ensnared by one of the oldest traps of all, carnal reasoning. So just look at that point for a minute, you know. Um, Never forget what we're called to. That word understanding has been coming up a lot too. This is a supernatural understanding. This is not a worldly, factual, whatever, academic understanding. This is a wisdom that surpasses knowledge that God is wanting us to see from, from that point of view. So again, don't get caught up in the natural senses. It's so tempting, isn't it? Your flesh, our flesh is so tempting to take the easy way out, and that is the easy way out, to just listen to our natural senses without thinking twice about it in a way. Listen to whoever talks to you, watch whatever you want to watch, uh, do whatever you want to do, whatever feels good, etc., Don't fall for the trap. It's a big, fat trap that our sin nature, you know, is edging towards all the time. We've been called to a supernatural life and understanding. Don't become ensnared by one of the oldest traps of all, carnal reasoning. That was our emphasis on Sunday. As we talked about on Sunday, the Bible calls the wise people of this earth, or at least those who think they're wise, it calls them simple-minded and fools. So think of the smartest people you know. Many names have come from this pulpit just as examples. Think of the smartest people you know. 
And if they are without the word of God, the Bible says they're fools. Like, not even competitive, right? <laughs> not even close to God's wisdom. They're, they're separate from it. They've been deceived as well. When's the last time, ask yourself this, when's the last time you called one of your icons, someone you admire in the world, who's often giving advice on television or social media, when's the last time you called them a fool? When's the last time you recognized them as a fool? Even though they might be very, very um, well-spoken and intelligent on their, their topic, the problem is they often branch off into every topic once they get the crowd following them, the attention. But when's the last time you, as a believer, said, you know what, am I like kind of falling for this person? Or am I going to call them out like the Bible calls them out, a fool, because they're without wisdom from the Word of God, they're speaking worldly wisdom? You might follow a famous person on social media. The Spirit is asking us to check our motivation. Why do you follow them? Why do you follow them? Why do you want to see all their Facebook posts and tweets and Instagram photos or whatever goes on on Instagram? I don't even know, but it's very popular right now. Why are you following them? Why, why, why have you liked them so you get all their stuff? Just ask yourself why. Maybe it is an a innocent form of entertainment for you. That's possible. But examine your own heart. Is it because you have an unhealthy admiration for them? And you put their words on a pedestal because they're so good at whatever it is they do? Are you fascinated by them because they're rich or famous? Even though the Bible calls them fools if they're without the word of God. So God is warning us to not become a victim to this type of idolatry. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? And this came up on Sunday morning from the blog, Be Like a Wise Birdie. Why would we ever esteem the simple-minded? Furthermore, why would we ever entertain reasoning with someone who speaks of fantasy and delusion amplified by unfounded self-esteem. That's one thing that the rich are really going to be in a big surprise for, unfortunately. Those who are rich, who serve wealth instead of serve God, who are not saved, they have this self-esteem about themselves, totally based on their wealth and the attention that they get from it, and one day they're going to find themselves naked before God. It's going to be the biggest shock of their lives that they can't stand on that anymore, that they were standing on. And that's what you know, we see here called unfounded self-esteem. It's a false bravado. These are the same people who crucified Jesus Christ because not only did man not esteem him, they resented him for siding with his sovereign father. They resented him for telling the truth, for example, to the wealthy or to the Pharisees. They resented him. Don't step on my self-esteem. I need this veneer that I put up. Or I'm, I'm going to fall apart. Don't, don't challenge me. And if you do, we'll kill you. And that might be coming for us one day. If not literal killing, they will kill us in different ways. That's how it's supposed to be, though, if we're going to tell the truth. So we must examine ourselves to see if we wrongly place a person with worldly wisdom on a pedestal of some kind. And on top of that, this came up on Sunday too, we must learn to reject such worldly wisdom, no matter how smooth a reasoning it may sound. Don't just you know, buy it hook, line, and sinker, because here's, here's what I see happening. I don't know if you see this too, but in our society, you get someone who is very good at what they do, and they can speak from an educated point of view from, on what they do. Okay, Whatever their specialty is, their gift is, their profession is, fine. Then what happens? Now that they have this elevated position and this admiration, they start talking about everything else in life, right? Politics, religion, God, life, the true meaning of life. Here they are, a superstar athlete who's been given a tremendous gift by God, and they're talking about the true meaning of life without the Word of God. So what happens? Everybody keeps listening because they're on a pedestal now in our hearts, so to speak. 
So we have to learn to reject worldly wisdom, no matter how smooth or reasoning it might sound. Think about this. The devil is the most smooth and reasoning creature ever created from the hand of God. So when, whenever you find yourself being um, taken by someone, by their speech, by their wisdom, you've got to remind yourself that's, that's in the type of Satan. All right? I'm not saying they are Satan. God only knows their hearts. But be careful if that's what you buy into. So let's not be fools ourselves just because successful people in the world sound good. And this all started from what some people might call a shocking passage in the Word of God in Deuteronomy 29.2. So let's go again to Deuteronomy 29.2. This kind of set our foundation uh, the last couple lessons. Deuteronomy 29.2. The idea that God's not going to give his wisdom to anyone that doesn't humble themselves before him. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. This is said to the people that saw all the miracles. It's kind of hard to believe. But there's a reason God did not give them the, His wisdom. The Lord has not given you on the board Anything spiritually appraised requires God's intervention by and through grace. Without this grace, we don't have eyes to see nor ears to hear. Just not there, no matter how much somebody quote-unquote wants it or how smart they are. They're not going to see or hear God's wisdom, even though we may read it and comprehend it in a natural way. We saw on Sunday uh, Paul writes about this same truth being a rea reality even to this day. I'll turn again to Romans 11.7. Romans 11.7. It's up to the Lord to open men's eyes, and it's up to Him to keep them closed. Romans 11.7. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. It sounds kind of harsh. After all, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Correct? In 1 Timothy 2.4. So how does that jive with what we see here? The thing is, is we know that God knows the heart of every man. He can see the heart plain as day. He knows if they are refusing His Son in their hearts. And he will not, therefore, give them the faculties to understand these things. So, obviously, it's totally in fairness and based on his perfect wisdom. And let's remember the Apostle Paul who wrote this. He learned this truth from the Lord Jesus himself also. Not only do we see this in Jesus' words in the Gospels, this, this same concept, which, by the way, Paul only had by word of mouth at the time, as we know. He didn't have the written Gospels at the time, but he also received personal revelation from the Lord over a three-year period before he even talked to any of the other apostles. So we're going to read a whole passage now in context because it will come in handy for another principle later on. So let's just read this whole passage and then we'll see our current point. Go to Galatians 1 verse 6. Galatians 1 6.
So this, this principle that we just read in Romans 11, and we read in the Old Testament, and we read in the Gospels, it's the same principle down to this very day. It's up to the Lord if he wants to give them a spirit of, a spirit of stupor or if he wants to open their eyes to see. But that's based on his perfect wisdom and knowing everybody's heart and willingness. So look at Galatians 1.6. Paul writes, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Now, uh, rather for, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? There's a question for all of us regarding this topic of carnal reasoning and people that we like giving us this reasoning to lure us in, whether they know it or not. Again, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's one of our current points. Paul was taught directly by Jesus. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, now notice this, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. What have we been talking about? Only by grace can a man's eyes be opened. Only by God's grace, if God chooses to extend that grace to that person. So, when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia, the desert. I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So what Paul wrote in Romans 11 which we just read a minute ago, is that it's God's sovereign decision who sees and who hears. And Paul learned that and knew that from the Old Testament. He knew that from Jesus Christ teaching him himself. For example, from Matthew 13, which we'll get to again. This has always been a truth on the board. This might be a summary of that. It's God's sovereign decision who sees and who hears. No man can receive the truth without the help of God. Or as Paul just wrote it in verse 15, he called me through his grace. No man can see, no man can hear, no man can understand the truth without the help of God. So we must be careful who we listen to and how we listen, even as believers. Because Satan wants to get us out, suck us out of that the good place we're at, the sphere of love, right? The sphere of gratitude and all that. He wants to suck us out of that with carnal reasoning, worldly reasoning. And we've got to be careful not to listen to fools, even though they sound intelligent. We saw Proverbs 1.17 in the Amplified on the board. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But when these people set a trap for others... They lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives and rush to their destruction. That from 
the blog as well. So this was a very important point that started this whole discussion on the board again. The Lord has not given you. Anything spiritually appraised requires God's intervention by and through grace. Without this grace, we don't have eyes to see nor ears to hear the truth, even though we may read it and comprehend it in a natural way. Go again to Ezekiel 12, verse 1. Ezekiel 12, 1. This truth should also prevent any of us from getting on our high horse with truth. Sometimes we think we, we know, you know, we think we've got to figure it out. But when we get arrogant or rebellious, God closes our ears because it's what we're asking for. Ezekiel 12:1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house, who have eyes to see but do not see, ears to hear but do not hear. For they are a rebellious house. God will not bless the rebellious with his divine wisdom and truth. He wouldn't throw his pearls before swine. Those that don't want it or want him. He will not bless the soul of a man who holds on to his unrepentant, stubborn heart. A la Romans chapter 10. Why should he? God has offered man the grace offer of a lifetime, and men say no. As gracious as our Lord and Savior is, he won't violate free will and force men to receive him, as we know. He won't give his treasures to those who refuse to receive them in gratitude. Go again to Matthew 13 as we continue our review, so we can see the Lord's own words again regarding this idea, this truth. Matthew 13, verse 10. God is sovereign. And no one's going to understand without His grace being given. Matthew 13, 10. And the disciples came and said to Him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. See, there's grace, right? Granted. It has not been granted to them. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But, Blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. And then, as we've seen recently, the Lord's explanation of the parable of parables includes divine understanding given to the humble. So just look at verse 23. You're in Matthew 13, verse 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil... This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Who gives this understanding? Only God. Only God. Someone could be a genius. But if God doesn't grant them the ability to understand truth, they're going to have zero of it. They're just going to be an intellectual, which is a fool compared to God. On the board, we saw this last week. Without man mixing the word of God with faith, Allah Hebrews 4.2, by the grace of God the Holy Spirit, he will not understand the precious truths found in the word. Period, end of sentence. He will not understand them. He will know them, 
he can quote them and he knows what the Bible says, but he's not going to understand them. He's not going to get it. He's not going to be set free. He's not going to have the peace of God. He might use religion for his own benefit, maybe to ease his guilt or whatever, but he's not going to understand. Again, without man mixing the word of God with faith, Allah Hebrews 4.2, by the grace of God the Holy Spirit, he will not understand the precious truths found in the word. Otherwise, he might only taste the good word, as we heard on Sunday, like the first three types of soils in the parable. We just read the fourth type of soil, right? Who understands? Here's the word and understands. The first three types of soil, they didn't get it. They may have tasted the good word, which is what it basically says. They sprouted up, right, at first. And then they got choked out or the sun scorched them. Why? They tasted it and they spit it out. They didn't really want the truth. Go again to Hebrews 6, verse 4. Hebrews 6, verse 4. When God pre presents the truth to people, He obviously doesn't force them to take it or swallow it, let's say. So many people, when they're faced with that, you know, point of critical discernment, it's time to make a decision, either, either get on one side of the fence or the other kind of thing. They choose other priorities over God. They literally make that choice against God because they, they, they know the truth now, they've been given it, and they choose another priority, usually self in some way. So it's what happens, and then God's like, okay, you're not going to understand. Hebrews 6.4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. What did we just say? We just said, you know, there comes a critical point of discernment where a man's got to get off the fence. And he's either, he's going to be faced in that moment. You know when someone asks you a question and you have one chance to answer? That happens in life, doesn't it? There's eventually a point where you get to and you're in a situation and you can't escape it. You have to give them a yes or a no. And that's kind of what it's like when God brings the gospel, you know, makes it understandable. And then, and then there's this point of, I don't want to say no return, but there's this point where they have to make a decision. And by saying no to Christ, they're saying yes to self, and it's really an assertive move by an apostate person who spits out the truth and doesn't want to swallow it. Man must make a decision one way or the other, and there's no real possibility to stay on the fence. Ultimately, every person has to choose to be for or against Christ. So as we read on in Hebrews 6-7, it says, for ground that drinks the rain. By the way, you might want to put the word soil in there to stick with the parable of the soils. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful, sounds like fruit to me. Don't argue about fruits and vegetables right now. Brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But, if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Does that remind you of the parable of the soils? Some seed with no firm root burned up by the sun, some choked out by the thorns. Here we see the same powerful analogy God often uses with agriculture and growing fruit or not growing fruit as the great evidence of faith. And in verse 9, Paul says, basically, Paul says, I'm confident you're, you're, you're of the good soil. He says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. 
So God grants understanding to believers. And with that comes divinely good evidence in their lives as well. We've been studying this for a while. But Paul says it a little differently in this passage on the board. We're confident of things that accompany salvation. Allah, our recent blog, Assurance of Salvation is by Grace Through Faith. Because we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we are able to discern the truth about our lives. Even when we are suffering, we understand why. These things are, are blessings given to those who God has opened their ears and their eyes by grace alone. Only God gives spiritual hearing and spiritual sight. And this is how the believer is set free and enjoys the peace of God. No other way. But as the Spirit is warning us, like pay attention, there are pretenders out there who are going to try to deceive us. It's a normal way of life in the devil's world. Jesus even warned about those who will claim to have the truth, but are trying to find their own way into the kingdom of heaven. Just think about that, and don't put it in a box. Don't limit that. All right, I'll say that again, but turn to uh, John 10, verse 1. John 10, 1. We saw this on Sunday, that there are pretenders out there that try to get into the kingdom of heaven a different way. But they might not even use the name of God. They might not even direct, directly go against Christ. But they will offer you an alternative way to be saved, uh, what's life about, um, an alternative way to um, earn your way. If there is a God and you meet him, they might say, you know, you'll be, you'll, you'll be good because you've done these things. So they basically give a false gospel. John 10, 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door, that's Jesus, is a, sheep, is, is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Do you flee from voices in the world that try to get you into carnal reasoning? It's a good test. If it's a strange voice, run away, as the Bible tells us. May we not listen to those who claim to have another way to God or another way to peace and truth, even though they might not use God's name. This is where our sin nature wants us to go. Listen to the charismatic intellectuals of your day. Surely they know better. Look how successful they are. Look how smart they are. Look how rich they are. And your sin nature is like, you know, excited to follow them. Because that's how we're built in the flesh. To follow idols. To follow things we can see. Sin wants us to follow what we see in the world rather than the truth of the word, which is invisible. Right? It's not right out in front of us talking to us. So there's the test of faith, right? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. One thing I learned from this latest blog also on being a wise birdie is that antichrists don't have to be people who directly claim to be the Messiah or the Savior. Antichrists don't have to be people who directly claim to be the Messiah or the Savior. And I always personally read those passages that way. They're going to claim to be the Christ. But maybe they don't use that name. Maybe they don't directly say, I am God. But there are things implied. So just think about that. Think about, as Pastor called them, the kings and queens in this world who claim to have an alternative answer to life and truth. They're not bashing Jesus. He's a great guy. But I have an alternative answer to life and truth. What, what, what's going on there? You have an alternative way 
to be saved, to be healed, to be happy, to maybe appease God, an alternative way instead of the way. So what, you, what do you have there? An antichrist without using his name. So on the board, this is another quote from the blog, Be Like a Wise Birdie. They, talking about the social elites, are antichrists and the world seeks their counsel for deliverance. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. 1 John 2.18 Come, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's happening all around us, but by a different name. Not necessarily using Christ's name. Antichrists cannot save themselves, never mind uphold the expectations of their idolaters. But they put on a good show. They put on a really good show, a really tempting talk. You want to follow them in your flesh. They are antichrists, and the world seeks their counsel for deliverance. Don't fall into the trap of the world. The Spirit is telling us over and over. Go back to Galatians 1. Do you remember what we read in Galatians 1? When we read the whole passage, even though I was only making one point at the time at the bottom of that passage, go back to Galatians 1, verse 6. What did we see? Galatians 1, 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Hmm. Sounds like social elites to me. Sounds like famous, wealthy, powerful people and the way they talk. They're disturbing my soul when I listen to them, if I give them too much attention. Possibly with another gospel, another good news. No, we're not bashing Christ. We're not even going to use his name. I have another good news for you, though. Here's how to be rich and successful and wealthy and happy and even appease God. Follow these seven steps. You'll be rich like me. Whatever. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Another way they want to give you. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he is to be accursed. So there's a form of good news that comes from the world, a pseudo good news that is very alluring if we give it the right ear. Too much time of day, whatever you want to call it. Ask yourself this for your own soul. I mean, we all are susceptible to this. We all may be in different areas, but ask for your own soul right now. Are your worldly heroes preaching you another gospel? another form of good news to turn to. Now, I know you probably deny the heroes. I know. I know how this goes. Happens in my soul, too. I'm not idolizing them. They're not my idols. But how do you listen to them? With what attitude do you hear them? Have you ever looked at social elites that you might admire in our world as antichrists, giving you another gospel? who through media are claiming to have all the answers and alternatives to God and Christ. I hope you just think about that because we're talking about subtle, evil messages given by worldly elites, even though they appear sincere. They'll even use the name of God many times. They might even use Jesus' name, but they misquote Scripture. If they do, kind of like Satan. Subtle, evil messages it, all, it only gets to you if you're putting them on a pedestal in your heart, if you're, if you're giving them too much credence as though they have godly wisdom when they have worldly wisdom. That's when you're susceptible. So in the meantime, God keeps reminding us to humbly follow him and that he alone is a source of peace and truth on the board. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. Thank God for that. All he wants from us is humility. Bow the knee. Stop thinking you're something when you're nothing. 
True humility begins and ends with submission to the Word of God. If you claim to be humble, but you are not submissive to the Word of God on a habitual basis, you are not humble. That's the reality. So measure yourself this way. This is what God is looking for, and that's what true humility looks like. For we believers, our ultimate authority is the Word. Those who submit to the Word are going to be blessed. They'll have peace and inner joy that only comes from a relationship with their Creator and Savior. And then on Sunday, we saw that this message comes in power. It's not just the words of men, but in the power of God it comes. And again, this is only going to be received and understood by those that God gives ears to hear. Turn again to 1 Corinthians 2.1. We had a lot of really great passages on Sunday, and when I say passages, I mean whole sections of Scripture that in context are just obviously a beautiful flow, but also fit our topic. Colossians 2.1. Paul wrote, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith, you see Paul's concern for, for the sheep that were allotted his charge, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Sounds like have your own convictions as well. But Paul didn't want their faith to rest on his wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet, we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, I'm sorry, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, such as the social elites, celebrities, etc., who are passing away. That's not the kind of wisdom Paul's preaching. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. You could be a king or a queen. You could have all the power and money and even intellect in the world. You're not going to understand it unless you bow the knee. Unless you humble yourself before God and He grants it. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. There's his promise fulfilled to those who bow before him. So again, in other words, God decides who and what is perceived by individuals in this world, not man. Someone could try to buy it, try to buy God's wisdom. Someone could hire, someone could be wealthy and hire 50 Bible scholars, like legit, 50 Bible scholars, to teach him the Word of God. He won't get it. He can't, God can't be bought, obviously. God decides if he's going to open that man's understanding or not, and it's not going to come before humility. So what do we do? As believers, the Spirit's warning us about carnal reasoning. And those who promote it, who might be trying to deceive us by it. And by the way, this isn't just celebrities. This is family and friends, too, that we listen to. People we admire for a certain reason, different areas of our lives. We all have them. Are we listening to carnal reasoning? Are we uh, open to deception? Even if they're not trying to deceive us. Because they don't know any better, right? Isn't that kind of the idea? Because they're under the deceitfulness of sin too, full bore if they're not into the Word of God, if they're unbelievers. They are deceived by sin. So here you are listening to someone that's fully deceived by sin, who hasn't even been rescued yet, out of sin and death. So here's the question, carnal reasoning. In other words, are you, are you listening to it? And what should you do about it? Colossians 3, 5a, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Crucify it. Don't, don't 
buy it for a second. In Mark 8, 35, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Be willing to lose it. That life that looks so good on the earth really is tempting at times, if we're honest. We were encouraged on Sunday, if we really believe that submission to the Word of God is the answer, then we should finish the sentence. If we really believe we need to submit to the Word, then what does that look like? Because you can say you submit to the Word. Anyone can say it. We received repeated help from an old Bible scholar who was willing to cut to the chase. His name was John Newton. Obedience is the best test of sincerity. Feelings are various, transient, and often deceitful, but a broken, humble spirit and an upright walk evidence the finger of God. Other things may be and are often counterfeited. Obedience. What do we say earlier You know about submitting to the Word? You're not humble unless you truly are submitting to the Word, no matter how humble you might like to think you are. And obedience is the best test of sincerity, if you want to know. So... The capstone point was the great litmus test for humility is obedience. Then the Spirit gave us another warning. One more. That's all we got time for. But it's funny. It's like there's no rest for the weary. You know, like here we are marching along in God's plan. And he's like, okay, I'm going to give you another warning. You're willing to hear it. I'm going to give you another warning. But remember, his load is easy and his burden is light. Don't let this weigh you down at all. God's setting us free by doing this for us. This came out on Sunday on the board. If we allow the kings and queens of our society to begin dictating to us what Christianity actually is, we are absolutely doomed. Be careful who you listen to about Christianity, about you know God's plan for your life. Because they're going to sound sincere. They're not going to sound stupid. They're not going to sound unattractive. They're going to sound sincere and intelligent and um, reasoning, carnal reasoning. So when people in the world start telling you about God and even what Christianity should be, be careful what you hear. Because guess what? Once you hear it, you, you've heard it. Now it's in your stinking brain, and now you've got to either get rid of it or accept it. And that's why we've got to be careful what we listen to. But you hear one little thing, and now it's like a, a growing, you know, tumor, a bug in your ear. Sounds good, huh? We allow the kings and queens of our society to begin dictating, if we allow the kings and queens of our society to begin dictating to us what Christianity actually is, we are absolutely doomed. We will be deceived by sin in a heartbeat, and it's going to sound good because we're going to think we're in the right. We're going to think we're in the light when we're in the darkness. Be careful when successful people in the world start talking about God and what's true. The deceitfulness of sin within them. See, now we're looking at two places where sin deceives, within us and within them. So it's not only sin tempting you from within, it's the sin nature of someone else tempting you in a really attractive way. The deceitfulness of sin within them wants to tempt us back into religion. Some type, any type of system of do's and don'ts by which we can earn our way with God. Remember, creature credit is the premium currency by their standards. And they're going to talk a good game. So they're trying to get us to rely on self instead of turning to God's grace. Now, if you're saved, you've already turned to God's grace. But guess what? You can go back to, you know, the mire, so to speak. You can go back to religion and be deceived. And we, this came out on Sunday as well, the world's take on religion. The world might say, well, it's like a formula. Do this and you'll be happy. Kind of reminds me of the checklist mentality that, you know, Pastor even wrote about in the blog a while ago. Do this and you'll be happy. I might consider it religion if and when I get down and out, but right now I'm feeling pretty darn good all on my own. I don't need you, God. But I'll be there if I'm feeling insecure and I want to check off a bunch of things so that I can ease my guilt or whatever. 
the world lumps true Christianity in with all other forms of religion. All other forms of religion, that's what they are. They're religion. They're man trying to earn God's favor. Where Christianity obviously is a relationship with our Creator and Savior. The world wants to lump Christianity in with it. And the great problem is to make it all about feeling good and satisfying self. That's the great temptation. That's what's going on in a lot of Christian churches right now. Let me help you feel good, feel better, and satisfy yourself, even the things that you think your relationship with God should be about. How you think it should be going. And that's, that's what we talked about, fitting God into our lifestyle or our thoughts instead of us submitting to God's thoughts. As believers, we must fight for the grace relationship God has provided for us. See how few are in this room right now? We have to fight for the grace relationship God has provided for us. We fight for it for ourselves and we fight for it for others. And it's not comfortable. It's not like fun. It's not like live your own life kind of thing, is it? Those who lose their life will save it and find it. That's where we have our purpose even. But as believers, we must fight for the grace relationship God's provided to us. How can we not fight for the grace relationship he's given to us? How can we not, you know, kick back against religion and try to help people out of that deception? But as we know, the world wants a quick fix formula. So again, the point on the board Beware of the world's take on religion because they're going to make it sound good. And they're going to make it sound easy in the sense of um, no submission to God, no humility required. Come this way. We're not the humility church, but we're the good church. We'll make you feel good. Be on guard because Satan will use the most beautiful and savvy people of the world to subtly suck us in. Celebrities or not, so as we begin to close here, I only got five minutes left. We're called to have a relationship with the God-man who gave himself up for us. We know that. He willingly became a man of sorrows in this world so that we might be saved through him. We saw that in Isaiah 53, right? Jesus is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we saw this wonderful poem from Philip Bliss, Man of Sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. That's how it ends. So, as Pastor brought out, you know, so vehemently on Sunday, the Spirit had him going on the fact that we're called to relate to Jesus this way. We're called to follow Jesus' path. And this was his calling. This is how he reached out to the lost. It's not fun, right? It's not fun to reach out to the lost and to, and to be berated along the way and persecuted along the way. It's not living for self. And having no pressures because of that in the sense of being attacked. It's putting your own life aside and being willing to be attacked. And therefore, you're going to be a man of sorrows. But it's awesome, too. Because it's truly like divine purpose. It's eternal purpose, right? We're all called to. The things we do will matter eternally for ourselves and others. And it requires accepting the fact that God might not want you to be a man of sorrows or a woman of sorrows. It doesn't mean you're always supposed to be miserable. It means you're supposed to accept your calling. You're not of this world. We don't belong here. We're aliens and, and um, pilgrims, right? Without that implication is you don't have a home. You're always moving about from one place to the next. That's what we're called to do. 
in a um, imitation, if you will, of his life. So are we willing, again, is the question. Jesus came to do whatever the Father asked him to do so that he could heal our diseases. Whatever. He was willing, and therefore so should we be. So on Sunday, uh, the Spirit prompted us to use Philippians 2 as our example. Uh, Jesus and his description in particular as our example. So we will close with this passage. Go to Philippians 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If that's Jesus' purpose, well, we have a, a different life to lead than what Christians would like to think their life's supposed to be about. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are you willing to walk in the footsteps of the man of sorrows? That's really our calling, folks, to do what he did. Not to his extreme or to die for the sins of the world, but to live like him, to give up our lives for others, and hopefully save some along the way before we see him face to face very soon. What's the point the Spirit is making? We're not called to religion to satisfy our guilt within. We're called to have a relationship with the one who gave himself up for us. We aren't called to self-improvement, as many world leaders will promote. We're called to surrender, to reach out to God for help from our own total depravity, and help others out of it as well. We're not called to live life for today, to find a way to be happy in this life and in this world which basically is what religion promotes. We're called to live for Christ in the devil's world and reach out to save others before it's too late. And living for Christ in the devil's world means sorrow and suffering at times. But it's all worth it in the end for the joy set before us. I mean, we're going to be so happy in heaven that we gave up our lives for Christ. If you decide to do that thing, if you haven't already done it, or if you need to take the next step, whatever, everyone's at a different place, but we will have no regrets. We'll be so elated that we gave up our lives for Christ. The silly little, I mean that in the sense of its meaninglessness without Christ, the silly little life. What do we really give up? We gave up suffering uh, that we induce on ourselves is what we gave up, really, which everyone's doing to themselves and taking pills to numb it and forget about it. We are to be intent on one purpose, as Paul wrote in verse 2. Don't lish, listen to social elites. How about those people you admire? You resist saying they're idols to you, but when you watch them on TV, would you admit you listen to them in admiration? Whether it's a movie star or a famous doctor or a super athlete, do you listen to them with an admiring ear? I know they're not your idols but do you listen to them with an admiring ear? If so, be careful, little birdie. Are they purposely trying to deceive you? Maybe not, and that's kind of the point. On the board, social elites, they may be sincere when sharing their advice about life or relationships or building wealth, etc., 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 
but their data is wrong if they don't cling to the word. So they're deceived by sin. And of course, they don't realize it. Are these the ones you're following? And I know they're not your idols. But are these the ones you're unhealthily admiring? Giving too much uh, fondness, affection, maybe that word is good? Affection towards them and the way they act or the way they look or the way they hold themselves and the way they speak and their intelligence? Because if so, you might have an idol that you are denying is an idol. They might be sincere, but their data's wrong, so they're, gonna, they're spewing false doctrine mixed with truth. Maybe using the name of God, they're not opposed to God. And they're giving you another gospel, another way, like an antichrist. But of course, they don't realize it. So be careful, little birdie, what you listen to and how you listen. On the board, Mark 4, 24 through 25. And Jesus was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. The antichrists of the world aren't concerned with bashing Christ. They just want to give you an alternative, another way to life, love, happiness, God. And most of them couldn't be further from the truth. So let's not be suckered in and be a stupid birdie. Let's be a wise birdie looking at the trap and knowing what we see. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for warning us out of your tremendous love for us as the good Father you are. We thank you for all these warnings and help us to heed them. Help us to not take them lightly. Help us to always be on guard for the deceitfulness of sin, both in ourselves and in others who might even have good intentions. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring the truth out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.